This is the Off Coast Podcast, where we focus on entrepreneurs, investors, and advisors located outside of the large startup ecosystems on the coasts. Now your host, Mark Frank. Welcome to the Off Coast Podcast. Today we have Derek Distenfeld, who's the CEO and co-founder of NextGen Justice, based in Jacksonville, Florida. And tell me a little bit about NextGen Justice and about yourself, and we'll go from there. Well, Mark, thanks for uh, having me on. It's always uh, good to hang out and uh, talk to a like-minded entrepreneur. NextGen Justice is legal solutions without lawyers. We make representing yourself an easy and painless process. Uh, some people compare us to a legal Zoom or a rocket lawyer. We're much different because we don't have an e-commerce strategy. We have a retail brick-and-mortar strategy. So more hand-holding than a national faceless website, but not the high fees of an hourly professional. And we are in Jacksonville, Florida, as you mentioned, but also a few other cities. We're in upstate New York, in Syracuse, as well as Watertown, which is home of the 10th Mountain Army Division. And we're in uh, Tampa, Florida. And uh, we just focus in a few areas family law, so name changes, or if God forbid you need a divorce, business law, so if you're starting a company, or if you need simple contracts and agreements. We also do estate planning forms as well as tax preparation. Awesome. So tell me about the origin story. Well, I was a uh, lieutenant in the United States Army. I mean, like you, I served uh, eight years, uh, most of my time with the 10th Mountain Army Division. And One of the things that had a tremendous impact on me is I had a soldier that was in a rough situation at home, and he had to get a divorce. And he came to me and asked for a few days off, and of course I I granted him the pass to take those days off. And I didn't think much of it, and I was just happy that I was able to help him. But a few weeks later, it came back to me where he had sold a lot of his army equipment that he wasn't authorized to sell. Mm. And the reason that he did that was that a lawyer had charged him $5,000 for his divorce. Wow. And it really kind of set me on this journey. I mean, why did he have why was it so expensive to just get forms prepared and filed? Yeah. What what caused that? And do other people have this problem? And how is the problem being addressed? And, you know, what I found was that 80% of all Americans cannot afford to hire a lawyer. And there were some existing services such as LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer trying to address the problem online. But what I also learned was that people see the legal industry as a minefield and it's scary, it's overwhelming, it's stressful, depending you know, what aspect of the legal industry you're going through. And, and you need a little bit more of a, of a helping hand than a website can, can do. Awesome. So you, you noticed, you saw this need from your time in the Army. You saw what a lot of Americans have to deal with, that 80% of them can't afford legal services and when they receive legal services, it often forces them into even further of a crisis, like the soldier who started selling all of his gear from the army. And you said, I'm going to do something about this. So describe to me what happened then. You started the business, I, I presume, in, uh, in New York? 
Yeah, so I started it in Watertown, New York. We wanted to start with a very focused demographic, and that was going to be members of the military and the surrounding community. It was a small town. Watertown is a town of, I think, 44,000 people, and then there's another 25,000 people on on the base. So a very small community, but there's a, a lot of benefits to that because, as you know, retail does have some additional costs as compared to a website. Mm-hmm. But in a town such as Watertown, you can get things like low rent. Um, it's easier to find a, a team. So we specifically sought to recruit military spouses, which we identified as kind of an underserved community. So we wanted to still have um, top talent, but we thought we would be able to recruit military spouses and we thought we'd be able to keep our prices low. And we did a bunch of research and realized that those assumptions turned out to be true. We opened our first location um, about two or three minutes from the base. And, you know, retail is a marketing strategy. So our initial focus was getting window signs, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. and just figuring out what would be a good call to action for those signs and how if we'd be able to get them, get people in the door and if direct outreach from the people that we hired would be helpful as well. And and that's really where we focused initially was just direct outreach, going to meet people, letting people know that there is a new option. And and it it caught on and we're proud that it did. That's great. Well, I want to hit on something you mentioned, which I think is really a really important point because you have, it sounds like what you did was you said, we want to build something that allows us to meet our goal of providing legal services for consumers, for the, the big middle class of America that they can't really receive right now in a reasonable fashion from a cost perspective. And then you evaluated very clearly, and it sounds like you defined your goals pretty clearly from the very get-go about what strategy you wanted to take. And that strategy you took was retail-based with a, with a technology backend. Part of what we looked at is, is how is the problem currently being addressed now? Yeah. And, you know, what are the holes in the way that the problem's being addressed? Interesting. I mean, so I, I really see the legal industry prior to Next Gen Justice as this huge, giant pendulum. I saw lawyers on the one side who provide a good service. They'll litigate for you. They'll give you legal advice, which is great. And then there's LegalZoom, who is a technology-based platform that helps people solve their legal dilemmas. But the challenge is, is that there's still a tremendous amount of Americans that do not have wills. Several Americans, millions of Americans do not have simple divorces. And so how can you kind of bridge that gap? And we really felt it was by utilizing that human touch and deploying that next generation technology together. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that, call it the clicks and bricks approach or the yep. click and mortar, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think Tesla does a lot of that, even in their stores. I kind of looked at Tesla's model about how they're bringing technology into their stores as mm-hmm. a way to reach the public. And the, the other thing that we quickly realized, it's not only about price. Yeah. And, and you know this, Mark. You don't build a business only around price. Right. It's about making that solution 10 times better than currently exists. Yep. And, and par- price is definitely part of it, but it's also the convenience and the easiness. It's about value. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and for us, a lot of that value is just based on making it 10, 20 times, whatever you want to call it, just vastly easier mm-hmm. for that consumer to be relieved. Yep. Consumers come to see us, they're stressed, they're overwhelmed, they're busy. I mean, we really feel that divorce is hard. Starting companies is probably even harder, but the process doesn't have to be. Right. And so we spend a lot of time focusing on that. That's great. I, I love it. I, I think the idea is a really good one. So what does your profile, your footprint look like right now? And then where are you going? What are your plans over the next six to 12 months? Absolutely. So we started in Watertown, New York, and then we opened the next store about 45 minutes away in Syracuse. And then we um, shot down to the nice warm sun in Florida. And we now have two locations in Jacksonville and one in Tampa, so it's about five stores in about, we opened about five in 13 months and we've been open since March and we're serving hardworking people, members of the military and self-motivated entrepreneurs every day. We've sold to hundreds of people and provided thousands of documents to those customers, which is great. Right now we're fundraising to build up our team and our technology so we can break into the uh, franchise space. And we're going to focus in Florida, Georgia, and Texas when we start doing that. Um, One disclaimer, so my franchise lawyer doesn't lose hair. It's not an offering. We're not available to sell those yet, but we are making those plans to do so and kind of seeking out um, intellectual and financial capital to get ready for that. We've gotten great traction there, and we're excited to hit the ground running. Great. I'm excited, too. So let's let's move to maybe some of the challenges you've faced whether they're takeaways that are very general or specific challenges and some of the things that you've learned from some of the challenges so maybe what was the in the last year what was the single hardest thing you've had to deal with in building the company to where it is now you know one of the the biggest challenges that that I have and I think we've spoken about it before mark is I always call it the blinky star syndrome <laughs> and Whenever you start a company, what ends up happening is is you, you you build something, you work really hard on it, you obviously have a business plan, and you're really really focused because that's what the blogs tell you: be laser focused and you know identify a certain market. But what happens is is you what they don't talk about all the time is you got all these people from the outside coming after you, right. whether it be potential partners. New customers have new ideas of what you should be providing, but you're not providing it. You know, you got investors that maybe come in before you're ready or have a completely different thesis than you do. And it's really easy to kind of just wander off Mm -hmm. towards each one of those opportunities. And it was really something that kind of caught me off guard where I really had to like take a step back and be like, okay, you cannot pursue every single partnership no matter how good it is. Because it's really interesting that people sometimes scoff at retail mm-hmm. but once you actually have that footprint open everyone wants to be a part of it mm-hmm. because they have decided to go online which is great but then they do see the value of retail when it's by way of a partnership and they're not paying the rent and right. they want to have a part of that footprint yep. and there definitely are some you know opportunities where we partner with people but it, and some of those have worked out great, but some of them have just turned out to be a giant waste of the time. Mm-hmm. So what I've actually done is, and you know, I have a little bit of that ADD too. So mm-hmm. I actually carry around a list of my priorities, and I actually 
I, I'm a little bit analog, but I have a, a slide and it has my A priorities and my B priorities. And if you approach me for a partnership, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how great the opportunity is, if it's not an A priority, it will not be pursued right away. If it's a B priority, I will add it to Trello. It's a great kind of project management tool. Yep. And we, we, we do have a list of possible pro- partnership opportunities that we consider B priorities, but they're not going to be pursued right away. And um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be rude to somebody, but I can't say yes to every single meeting. I mm-hmm. can't say yes to every single partnership because the most scarce resource that we have at NextGen Justice, it, it, besides money, is time. And we have to spend as much time as we can learning about and serving the customers we have. And, you know, people have different ideas what a CEO's role is. But one of the things that I don't think it's just gets discussed enough is the CEO is in charge of how resources are, are being used. So I, I really guard the time of not only myself, but everyone in this company uh, very, very closely. You made some really good points there. And I want to highlight those just so people hear them twice. There were three that I heard that were really important. The first one I thought was was tremendous insight. And it was that you carry around a list. Whether you, ha- you it sounds like you have a piece of paper or you maybe actually carry around. Maybe you put an Evernote, whatever. But make a list is the real priority. If you're a CEO, if you're a leader of a company, especially a startup, make a list of your priorities and adhere to that list. The second thing, which is completely related to that, you said, besides money, time is the biggest resource. I would argue that time is a more of a scarce resource than money, because while it may be really difficult, you can always get more money. You can't get more time. That's very period. true. Yeah, absolutely. You can't get more time There's only for yourself. Yeah. Right? You can sort of get more time by hiring people, but even then you only have a finite amount of time for yourself. So managing that time is really, really important. And and I see this a lot with companies that go from, especially when they go quickly, that go from an idea and they scale really quickly and they don't know how to manage their time, especially the leaders and the CEO and the founding team. They have a real struggle because they're used to looking, exploring every single opportunity and they're used to taking every meeting to see what happens. And you can't do that as you grow. It will limit your growth. It may be good in the very, very beginning when you have more time because there are not as many things you actually have to do on a daily or weekly basis. But as you grow, that time gets even more scarce. And that's the time when you really need to be ramping. And the last thing that you you talked about was, was around... Making sure that I don't think you really highlighted this, but I inferred what you really were talking about was making sure that your team, as you grow, understands those priorities. So you're carrying that list around. You understand that list. But as you grow and you have people who are actually going off onto their own islands and building that aspect of your company, having that communication with your team and pushing down what those priorities are is a really important thing. So thanks for those points. Yeah, I mean, those priorities, I mean, I I repeat priorities over and over again just because I want to make sure people get it and we're always reevaluating our priorities. In Mm -hmm. fact, if I feel like our priorities are in flux 
you know, that that's almost a that's a pretty big deal. And I'm not it happens occasionally, but we bring the team together and, and we figure it out. I mean, you also have to stay focused and try to limit your priorities to as few as possible. Yeah. And the only other thing I, I would like to add is I know you read a lot, Mark, but when I'm not working, I'm reading and mm-hmm. I've I've read about very, very few companies and I don't even think I can think of one that had became this huge unicorn or had this tremendous exit because of a partnership they formed. <laughs> I've never I've I can't think of one. I mean, maybe there is. I mean, partnerships are great and they sound very, very sexy at that time, especially when you're new and you don't have a lot of traction. You're like, wow, he wants to partner with me. And mm-hmm. it's but just remember that companies are usually formed by serving their customers mm-hmm. and gaining traction, not by this make or break partnership. Right. So uh, that's just kind of how I look at it. I think that's a, that's another really good point because people do view it as a shortcut. And at the end of the day, there's no shortcut to building a great company. You can do it really quickly, but you can't find some cheat. So... I know you've had some struggles and fought the man to a certain degree. You've experienced what may end up being one of your biggest challenges of the first five years of the company in the first year of the company or first six months of the company. So maybe if you can talk about that, if you're willing to give that story. Oh, absolutely. So as most of us know, whenever you want to disrupt an industry, whether you are Tesla disrupting the car market or Airbnb, who's doing the same thing to hotels. And of course, there's Uber, which is the most popular one right now. Whenever you start a company like that, you're, you know, you're disrupting the status quo. And what's kind of similar uh, with Next Gen Justice to the Ubers and the Teslas is that customers always seem to love it. Customers love choices and they love options. It doesn't mean that the alternatives are are bad, but people seem to love choices and love new things. And that's definitely been the case with Next Gen Justice. Part of the challenge with that is there's always a consistent constituency or the status quo that that don't like it. And they they want to keep things the way they are. In Uber's case, it's the taxi drivers. In Airbnbs, it's it's the hotels. Um, in, in our case, we we've had um, certain bars that 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 haven't liked Next Gen Justice. They feel threatened by our innovative, lawful business model, and um, we feel that we are on the right side of the issue. We feel that we're providing consumers a low-cost legal solution, but some some attorneys do not, and some attorneys do love us. Uh, we are not anti-lawyer ourselves. We are pro-consumer. But saying that is there is a group of people that, that don't want next-gen justice to exist, so we have been challenged by bar associations. I'm happy to report that we're still open and operational, I'm not naive enough to think that those challenges will disappear completely. But what I think is more important than focusing on those challenges is focusing on serving the customers. Mm -hmm. The customers that we have are the ones that allow us to exist. So the second that I take my eye off the consumer and what they're saying about us is uh, important. If we were being sued by customers, kind of like Aspen Dental... Mm -hmm. Uh, who is a, a dental um, kind of operation that's somewhat unique. 
but they're getting sued by their customers. That's a much different situation. And I'd have to do some deep thinking about the focus of our business, but that hasn't been the case. So we are not a perfect company and I'm not saying that we've never screwed up, but we are definitely being faced with opposition from bars and from attorneys that don't like us to exist very much like Airbnb is being faced by the hotel lobbyists. So what's most important though, and I think Airbnb would say the same thing is, is we have to provide a good service, a good solution uh, to the public. And and that's what we're going to continue to do. I will say that, that those challenges early on have been a great learning experience. And the talk about that. Why why have those challenges? Why has been being attacked by an established group who wants the status quo to continue, just like the taxi associations for Uber and just like the hotel industry for Airbnb? Why has that been such a good learning experience? And what have you learned from that? The first thing is, is transparency. Mm -hmm. You have to be transparent to your team and your customers. I've been incredibly focused on keeping that communication, not only to my team, but to our customers. We've done things like emailed our customers, told them exactly what was going on. We put notes on the door um, and we try to be as transparent as as possible about your company and your organization and especially to your your team as well. Um, And I think by having that transparency, it builds a bond where we feel like we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what what's vital is is, is, is a team is, is, is a group of people working together. Mm-hmm. And if you're not transparent, if one person on the team knows something that another doesn't, then that's not going to be an effective team and they're not going to be able to produce. So yep. maintaining communication, being very open and honest, it, it sounds easy and almost like a cliche, but when things are hard and rough, I mean, we've gotten to the point where you know, we didn't know if we were going to be open tomorrow or the next day is, can we sustain this? Yeah. Um, and, and being able to come together as a team has just been awesome and, and a great experience so early on. Mm-hmm. It might not have been something I would harp on if this would have happened five years in the company, but yeah. I mean, we're three, four, five months old and attorneys are complaining about our company and then you really have to come together and say, hey, are we going to fight? tooth and nail on behalf of the consumer as a team and as an organization or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was our put up or shut up moment right? very, very early on. And you just grow tremendously. There's a kind of a couple principles that I've kind of learned from. One is, is that you can really tell a lot about someone when they're under stress. And, and I think that's that's been really evident and, and true. We've learned a lot about each other. Yep. The other thing is the... Uh, the Stockdale principle that's oh, yeah. discussed in Good to Great. And I think it's vital to be realistic about the situation on the ground, mm-hmm. but you must have that incredible confidence that you will succeed. Can you explain that principle for everyone? Just yeah. So the Stockdale principle, Admiral Stockdale was a, he wound up to be an admiral in the Navy, but he, during Vietnam was kidnapped. He was a POW in some of the worst POW camps that Vietnam had. And when he was asked, why did some people die and why did other people live under these harsh conditions? 
And what Admiral Stockdale talked about was the ones that died were the ones that would say, you know, we're going to be home by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and then they'd sit, come and go. And then they would say, oh, we're going to be home by summer. And then summer would come and go. And what, what would happen was, is they ultimately were not realistic about the situation in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up dying of a broken heart. Right. And Admiral Stockdale, who was there for many, many years, said you have to be realistic about the situation on the ground, but you need to couple that with the incredible confidence you will succeed. Mm -hmm. So the realistic situation for him was we're not getting out anytime soon. We don't know when we're going home, but I know I can succeed. And at Next Gen Justice, we do not know when a lawyer or if a lawyer or a bar association will attack us. But we are confident that we are on the right side of the issue for consumers and that we are going to be here for many years to come. That's great. That's a great analogy to what you're facing. And I think what a lot of startups face, especially when they're trying to disrupt a very strong, entrenched incumbent. I think it really just starts from being passionate about solving the problem. Yeah. And we we are incredibly passionate about serving the people that need our services. And we are always going to seek to find lawful, innovative solutions for them. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's our retail stores. It doesn't mean someday it won't be websites or books or movies or whatever it may be. Right. We want to give people access to the legal system. And, and that's what Next Gen Justice is going to do. Great. Well, let's wrap up soon. I want to... Get a couple more questions in if I can get a couple more tidbits of knowledge out of you. This has been great so far. I love it. What was something that on the positive side that you didn't expect that was really a, you know, a big surprise in a, in a good way? Honestly, I didn't expect people to adapt our services so quickly. The customers. Uh, the customers. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we are changing Americans' buying habits and mm-hmm. Maybe that's a little grandiose, but definitely in the four cities. Well, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, in the four cities we're in, we're definitely changing people's buying habits. We're giving people another option. I was not expecting uh, people to catch on so quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's just been a a huge surprise, and it's been a welcome surprise. And I I guess it it shows the the need for it, but it's always a little difficult because you can – you can do focus groups and you can do surveys and, and we all know how to do that. But until you're open and operational, you don't really know. Right. And there, there is a, a pretty big upfront cost for a retail store. And until you're open, you don't really know how you will be perceived. And so it's been great that the traction so high. I mean, our Instagram page has so many pictures of customers on it. It just blows my mind. I mean, and, and that's, that's kind of a, a small thing for a lot of companies. Like, of course you have an Instagram page, mm-hmm. but I don't see too many law firms <laughs> with customers on their page. I really Smiling. don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing. Especially I was, after they get their bill. Yeah. I mean, and, but I was in the Tampa store uh, last week and we were helping someone with her chapter seven bankruptcy and, and she's smiling for a picture. Mm-hmm. And it's not because she's happy that she's in that situation, but she's thrilled with the service that she's received and how painless we've made the process. I mean, no one wakes up in the morning thrilled to go bankrupt, Mm -hmm. but no one also wants to compound that with a difficult 
procedure to get it done. And, and she was just so thrilled. And it was, it just really fires me up to see that excitement. So awesome. Do you want a minute to tell everybody where they can find information about Next Gen Justice? Yeah, sure. So Next Gen Justice is just nextgenjustice.com. I believe in hashtag give first. So I would love to help any entrepreneur in any way I can. I'm just Derek at nextgenjustice.com. We're on all the social media handles, Twitter, Next Gen Justice, Facebook. I can be found on LinkedIn. If there's anything we can do to help you, please contact us. And if there's anything I can do for you personally, please do not hesitate to reach out. And you're a great resource. And I, I love talking to you. I always learn. So thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Really informative. I think the listeners, I think everyone listening to this right now just got a lot of great information and great tips. So thanks so much, Derek. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark.